Welcome to chapter 3 of the book of Luke as we walk through this book quickly together, but also I hope comprehensively together. I hope you're seeing the life of Jesus. And maybe as you've never seen it before. We started out by seeing, as most of us are familiar with, the life of Jesus in his birth, his beginnings, and then at age 12. But now in chapter 3, we begin to turn to the ministry of Jesus. But before his ministry opens, we see how God prepares him for this ministry. There are a lot of lessons for you and I in how God prepared Jesus for ministry. Luke chapter 3, verse 1 begins by saying, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ithria and Traconis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Wow, that's a lot of names. That's a lot of places. Those are those verses, verses 1 and 2, that you're terrified of reading when somebody's reading the scripture together. What's going on here? Notice that Luke writes as an historian. All that Jesus did, all who Jesus is, is firmly rooted in history. And we get to hear that history here. In that history, now Jesus is going to begin his ministry. Now, before getting into specifics, I want you to just note that preparation is vital. If God's going to use you in ministry, preparation for ministry is vital. If Jesus had to prepare for ministry, obviously I'm going to have to prepare for ministry. The idea that, well, now I'm a believer and the Holy Spirit's in my life, I can just go and begin, does not fit with the pattern, with the model of Jesus. God works his preparation for the life of Jesus' ministry, for the life of Christ and his ministry in four specific ways. First, John the Baptist prepares the way. Second, Jesus is baptized. Third, you see preparation in the genealogy of Jesus. And fourth, the preparation in the temptation of Jesus. First, John the Baptist prepares the way. First, chapter 2, the last half. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. We hear the story of John the Baptist. And he really has a threefold ministry in preparing the way for Jesus. He is ministering in past and present and in future. In the past, we see the fulfillment of prophecy in the life of John the Baptist. In the present, we're going to see the call to repentance. And the future, we see him pointing the way to Jesus. In the past, His ministry is the fulfillment of prophecy from hundreds, from thousands of years before. In verses 3 and 4, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's ministry had been prophesied from hundreds of years before, the prophet Isaiah. Not only is the life of Jesus firmly rooted in present-day history, as chapter 3 starts out, it's also firmly rooted in prophetic history. John is coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, for who Jesus is. And Luke is writing it out for us. He's laying it out for us so that everyone who reads this, who had been looking forward to the promised one of God, the Messiah of God, understands that prophecy is being fulfilled in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a spiritual hero in all of Israel. We're going to see as we read through Luke that he gets in some political difficulty with Herod, some great difficulty by which he even loses his life. He's a spiritual hero. But Luke wants us to understand that he is the forerunner of the Messiah. He is looking forward to the life of Christ. His ministry is a fulfillment of prophecy. It is also a call to repentance. Now, John's call to repentance may be different than any call to repentance that you've ever heard. In verse 7, here's what he says to the crowds. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. So these are the people who are following him. 
These are the people who are coming all the way out into the desert to be baptized by him. These are the true believers, supposedly. And here's what John says. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John's ministry is certainly a different ministry. He's calling a people to repentance who are very self-satisfied in their religion. And they're coming out to be baptized in the desert, but John sees their hearts. He understands it's just one more spiritual thing to add to their lives. Just one more good thing to do. They're not truly repentant, many of them. They're just adding something else. Well, let's cover that base too spiritually. Let's do that. Let's have that experience too spiritually. Let's go to that retreat. Let's read that book. Let's do that study. Now, retreats can be wonderful. Books can be awesome. Studies can be life-changing. But the question is, is it all about repentance or just adding one more thing to the list? Now, the word repentance is a beautiful word. It means turning around. It means living a new life. It means a changed life. And John is calling people to this changed life, but he realizes it's not in him. So the third, the most significant part of John's ministry is he points the way to Jesus. Listen to what happens in verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's what I love about John. He knew who he was and he knew who he was not. He knew what God had sent him to do and he knew what God had not sent him to do. And because of that, he has a clarity of personality and purpose that caused Jesus to call him one of the greatest men who ever lived. I want to live that kind of life. I want to know what God wants me to do, but I also want to know what he doesn't want me to do. John didn't get caught up in the comparisons that so many of us get caught up in. So that we're trying to do what God has called us to do, but also what God called him to do and and her to do also, because they're getting a lot of notice for what they're doing. No, he just did what God had called him to do. That's what gives you clarity of personality. That's what gives you clarity of purpose. The ministry of John the Baptist is the first part of the preparation for the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it may often be true in in, in your life. It may be true in your life also that God uses someone else's life to prepare you for ministry. Their model, their encouragement, their work even will prepare you for the ministry that God has for you. That's what he did in Jesus's life. The second part of the preparation for the ministry of Jesus is in the baptism of Jesus. Verses 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is an amazing moment in history. This is an amazing moment in history. Verses 21 and 22, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all seen in one place at one time. The Son is being baptized. The Spirit is coming down like a dove. The Father is saying, this is my son. I am pleased with him. Jesus is baptized. Now the question is, Why was Jesus baptized? He wasn't baptized for salvation. He's perfect. He's God. He didn't need to be baptized for salvation or to express a salvation that had happened. Why was Jesus baptized? He was baptized as a humble example for us to give us an example. And he was baptized also as a powerful picture of the deity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized as a humble example for you. Being baptized like Jesus was 
as an adult, not as a child before I could understand it, but as an adult, after I've made my faith decision, is following Jesus Christ. Being baptized like Jesus was, being immersed in the water as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just following Jesus as a model. And Jesus knew that some of us would struggle with that, either because we didn't like to be noticed or because we had traditions that we struggle with. There's all kinds of reasons why people struggle with baptism. Jesus knew we would, and so he was baptized as an example for you, as an example for us, because he wants us to follow him in baptism. I love the idea that when I'm baptized, I'm following Jesus in baptism. This preparation for the ministry of Jesus, you have the ministry of John, you have the baptism of Jesus, but then you also have the genealogies. Chapter 3 ends with a long reading of the genealogy of Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I know, I know you were waiting for this. I know it was going to be your favorite part of the entire book of Luke, but I am going to read some parts of it. I want you to hear the names. I want you to hear the genealogy. Now, Jesus himself in verse 23 was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Halai. Now, I'm going to skip on. The son of David. Verse 32, the son of Jesse. Verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Skipping on, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. Skipping on, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. All those names, many of which I skipped, from Joseph all the way back through David, all the way back through Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, all the way back through Noah, all the way back through Adam, all the way back to God. The genealogies are put in the scripture for us to recognize that Jesus came from the line of David and he's a fulfillment of prophecy. But in these genealogies, there are three messages that you and I need to hold on today. One, all of history has been leading to something. All of history was leading to this point. The idea that history just happens randomly is nowhere to be seen in the Bible. It may seem that way to us. It certainly seems that way to us at times. It is not. All of history has been leading to something, and all of history still is leading to something, to Jesus coming again, to us being with God for all of eternity. Number two, second message, God has always had a plan. Even through the struggles and the troubles of those that we read about in these genealogies, God had a plan and was working his plan out in human history. And even through the struggles and problems and difficulties in your life, God has a plan. And message number three is people are a part of God's plan. Why doesn't God just do it without us? He's chosen not to. He's chosen to do it with us, through us. So he worked through people, through the line of people, from the names of Adam to David to Abraham to Jacob to Joseph. He worked through people for this line that would be seen in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait, wait. Joseph wasn't the real father of Jesus. God was the real father. So why is this even in here? Because in that day, the line was always traced back through the father. Now in Matthew, we have the line traced back through the mother, and they both trace back through David. So prophecy is fulfilled either way. We're told both of that in Scripture. But this genealogy to me is one of the greatest fulfillments, one of the greatest assurances in all of Scripture that God always has a plan and that you are a part, even when you don't recognize it, you are a part of the ultimate and awesome plan of God, not just for your life, but for all of human history. Think of it. God is using you in ways that you cannot even imagine. God is working in your life in ways that when you get to heaven, it's going to take your breath away. Let's take a moment and thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you use us, how you work in our lives. In ways that we don't see, you're working 
not only in our history, but in human history. So, Lord, as you prepare us for ministry, even as you prepare Jesus, help us to realize that even if the preparation seems long, that's only because the timing for ministry is yours. And maybe the ministry you have for us is greater than we even realize. So, Lord, help us to trust you with the preparation, even as we trust you with the ministry. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow, chapter 4, we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. We're going to look at the first message, the first sermon of Jesus. Jesus.